0: is standing by to discuss a cosmic cover-up of End Time Proportions. And he'll be here for the full two hours. Owen Wolf is my technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And we are streaming live on the YouTube channel Strange Planet. Uh, say, have you signed up for my free monthly newsletter yet? The Inner Sanctum. It's a jam-packed with great content, and all you need to do to receive it is register at strangeplanet.ca strangeplanet.ca it takes but a moment and once you've registered you'll also be automatically entered into the monthly draw for for great strange planet gear t-shirts hoodies sweatshirts mugs phone cases socks and more why not do it right now just to, just go to strangeplanet.ca and of course it's uh, delivered right to your uh, your inbox but do you remember when we actually used to get real mail? Isn't it such great fun when we get, I got a, a, a nice little card here. I'm gonna open it up live on the air. This is such a rarity. This is a lovely Hanukkah card. Uh, like, like the Hanukkah candles that shine. Richard Serrett, you bring your own special light and warmth to the world. Have a wonderful Hanukkah and a Merry Christmas from Melanie. Who's in Etobicoke. Melanie, thank you so much. What a treat that is to actually get real mail. <laughs> thank you for that. All right. Does Revelation chapter 8 verses 10 and 11 describe an asteroid? Is the wormwood star from Revelation 8 already headed toward Earth? Are NASA and high level government officials aware of an asteroid that it's on a collision course with our planet? Is that why President Trump sanctioned a colossal increase to planetary defense? Did the prophecies from ancient cultures and religions across the globe all point to a catastrophic planetary event that has scientists and politicians taking extreme preventative measures under the public radar? Strap yourselves in and get ready for a wild ride, friends. Thomas Horn is a longtime television and radio personality. Best-selling author and publisher, he serves as the chief executive officer of Skywatch TV, known for its breaking news and in-depth investigative reports about prophecy, conspiracies, and the supernatural. He's also the founder of Defender Films and Defender Publishing. Thomas has discussed his cutting-edge discoveries in a variety of media, including Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, The Jim Baker Show, and, of course, Coast to Coast AM. His latest is the Wormwood Prophecy, NASA, and a cosmic cover-up to end uh, of end time proportions. Thomas, welcome aboard. How are you? Hey,
1: Richard, I'm doing great, and thank you for having me back on again.
0: My pleasure. So, uh, what does Revelation chapter eight, verses ten and eleven, actually say?
1: Uh, Yeah, um, it says, "And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star." from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Um, Interestingly, here in Revelation 8, where it says a star fell from heaven, that is the Greek word aster or astron, from which we make the word Asteroid, and so that could also be read as a great asteroid fell from heaven, burning as it were a lamp.
0: Wormwood. What is what is Wormwood? Why was that star named Wormwood?
1: Yeah. Have you ever had Doctor Michael Heiser on your program?
0: No, no.
1: Uh, well, I would highly suggest it. I mean, he is um, he is a, a Bible scholar of the first. Rank, um, but he's also a guy that loves talking about um, the paranormal. Uh, he's been on quite a few times on Coast to Coast and with George Nori. I get anyway, so
0: many people. You're not the only one. So many people have asked me to have him on, and that's definitely he's definitely on my to do list.
1: Yeah, I would highly suggest it. But if you were to ask him, because I did, given the fact that he's a he's an ancient language expert. In fact, he's probably only one of ten people in the world that can uh, translate uh, extinct languages to the degree that he can, Um, ancient languages that have been forgotten to history, and that's really his forte, that's his Ph.D. Uh, But so I asked him, I said, if, uh, if I were to ask an early church father about this text, Revelation 8, what would they make of the Wormwood prophecy? And he said most of them then would have translated Wormwood as, first of all, an angel, because uh, in those days when they talked about a star, so much of the Bible, you know, uses that terminology, a star, in reference to an angel, the seven angels throughout the churches of Asia. In fact, Revelation 9, immediately following Revelation 8, a star fell from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and unto him was given the key. So it's a personification of the uh of uh, of a heavenly entity and so he told me that most early church fathers would imagine wormwood referencing probably an angel of judgment a fallen angel that falls to the earth and brings famine and chaos and so on onto the earth the etymology i go into all this stuff in the book and it, we could get bogged down in it so i don't want to uh, bother your listeners with it but um there's a case could be made uh, for suggesting that the meaning behind the word refers to bitterness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so, um, you know, even Chernobyl out ah, of Russia.
0: Yes, I was going to uh, ask you about that, because uh, our, our good friend, Pastor Carl Gallup's. Gallops, yes. uh, he, he sort of made that case that, that Wormwood is Chernobyl, and, and some have suggested that actually Chernobyl in Ukrainian means Wormwood. I don't know if that's true or not.
1: Well, that's what I've been told. I can't speak, um, you know, Russian, um, but that or Ukrainian, but that is what I've been told as well. That that's what it means. But in any case, um, now for me though, this discussion involves something that I did not anticipate. Um, I didn't enter into 2019 early in the year saying, "Hey, you know what? I ought to do. I ought to write a book about wormwood." Um, for me, the way this started was with a metaphysical experience that I have had on a few occasions in my life that I have only very rarely, and by that I mean only a couple of times in my lifetime, have I talked about it publicly or in media. Uh, and, but it is something that has happened with me, and each time that it has, it has been 100% accurate. Now let me explain to your listeners that might be scratching their head right now wondering what I'm talking about. Uh, when I, and this over 40 years ago, 45 years ago, um, I was this uh, young, you know, preacher and just wanted to be so involved in ministry and literally just every day hungry, begging God to let me be in ministry, right? Just young mm-hmm. and hungry. And. <clears throat> So I come home, and I was at work one night, and I, I, during my whole lunch break, I went in a back room in a dark room uh, where these big silos were as a big, huge bakery. Um, and I turned out all the lights, and I'm in there just begging God to let me be in the ministry. So I come home that evening, uh, and uh, I go to bed. Now, the next thing, Richard, that I know, uh, I am standing in front of a very, very brilliant white light. Somehow in my mind, I know that I'm standing before God. Uh, I also know that he has told me some things, but then he has told me that I am not going to remember them, and it was time for me to go back. And the last thing I recall, vivid as much today as it was to me 45 years ago, uh, was me saying out loud, but please don't let me forget. Please don't let me forget. And all of a sudden, I started falling backward, as if I had fallen out of an airplane with my back towards the Earth, and I'm falling through space. I could see the bright light and all of that moving very quickly away from me. And as you know, people that have had uh, supernatural experiences, NEDs, that kind of thing, yes. quite often describe this very brilliant light. 100%. And, uh, and I'm falling away from it very quickly. Uh, all of a sudden, I literally see the roof of my house go around me, and I fall on my bed with a thought. Uh, and immediately I sit up in bed, I take in this deep breath, <gasps> like that, and now I'm, I'm no longer in whatever this vision, dream state, whatever it was. I'm no longer in that. I'm literally sitting up in my bed. And I'm sitting there kind of trying to collect what in the world had just happened. When I hear my beautiful young wife Nita weeping, and I turn on the bed and I look, and she's sitting up on the bed, and she's and I can tell she's been bawling, right? Uh, and it take and I'm asking her, Babe, what's the matter? What's the matter? It takes her a few moments to collect herself, and finally, through her stuttered language, she explains to me that she had woke up in the middle of the night around 2 a.m. and I was dead. I had no breath. I had no heartbeat, I had no pulse, uh, and for 15 minutes or so, she's been beating on my chest, breathing into my mouth, trying to resuscitate me, doesn't know what she's doing. There was no cell phones back then that hadn't been invented. We didn't even have a rotary phone, and we lived uh, you know, in the country far enough away that she couldn't walk to the next neighbor. Right. And she had literally just been sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to have to drag him by the feet out into the car and drive to the hospital, uh, to see if they can do something for him. Anyway, um, now, the next morning, I got to make this quicker. The next morning, I went to my pastor and I told him what had happened. Uh, and I learned that day what the New Testament means when it says, you know, not to give what is holy to dogs or cast your pearls before a swine. Not that my pastor was a dog or a swine, but he totally did not get what I was talking about, <laughs> and he thought I had just ate too many chili beans, right, <laughs> uh, before I went to bed that evening. So it, it then what happened was it had the reverse effect on me. I closed it up. I sealed it up. I would never talk about it publicly with anybody except my wife, of course, years later, my children. Um, but, uh, at that time, every single day, I was praying and I was saying, God, I, I don't understand this. You know, what was this about? Because it was so vivid. Richard, I don't know if you've interviewed people that have had NDEs or any of those oh, kind of
0: many, things Oh, many, 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 yes.
1: Uh, but if they try to describe the how vivid that plane is, You actually you can't describe it because we, you know, we try to communicate in terms of the five senses that we have here. So you know, smell, touch
0: doesn't cut it. (laughs) Not adequate.
1: And and it's not it's it there. It's like you have a thousand senses. Anyway, so every day I'm praying and I'm saying, God, what was the point in that? I don't understand it. With all respect. Why would you show somebody something then say you're not going to remember? It just didn't even make sense at all. You're right. You're right. For the first time in my life, I was praying through the Bible. I had never, I had never read through the Bible, uh, in my life. I was reading through the Bible. And I happened to, about four weeks later now, I happened to come across, uh, the book of Job, chapter 33. And when my eyes fell on these verses, they literally leaped off the pages at me. It was a complete Logos, Rhema experience. And here's what it says uh, in Job 33. This was the first time I understood what had happened. 33:14, And it says, For God speaks once, yea, twice, yet man perceives it not in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumbering upon the bed, mm. then... He opens the ears of men and seals their instructions that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man, End quote. And I'm telling you, when I read that, even as this young, novice preacher who didn't know anything about theology, I totally got that he had sealed information within me that later on in my life, would become important. Now, why would he not let me remember? He actually explains that here in two different phrases. He says, number one, to withdraw man from his purpose. So, of course, Richard, you would know that as a very young, hungry Christian, if I had known where God was going to take me someday, that I was going to, you know, own my own television network, be on television, own a publishing house, you know, be on all the, these other, you know, famous celebrity christians right i hate those terms but that i'm going to be on their programs what would i have done i would have aimed at it right and i would have done everything i could to make that happen what i would not have done is gone through all of the you know the school of life all of the hard knocks and the things you have to right it would have
0: been the tail wagging the dog
1: yeah and then the second thing he says is to hide pride from man which, of course, as a young preacher, had I seen everything that I would be doing today, it would have been very easy for me to get lifted up. I don't know if I would have or not, but it would have been certainly a temptation Absolutely. to think of myself as more than I should. But that was the very first time. Now, why am, I, why am I bringing that up? Because on several occasions in my life, and by the way, I would love for somebody listening to your program to email me or write in or something and give me their theory around why this is true, but it is always right around 2 a.m. in the morning. It was the very first time it happened. It has been every time since then. Because when I wake up, the first thing I do is I look at the clock, and it's always right at 2 a.m. Right. right. I don't know what the significance of that is. It is is
0: significant. I'll tell you, I do talk about the paranormal on the program, and I'm I'm conflicted by a lot of it for obvious reasons. But people talk about 3 a.m. or 2 between 2 and 3 a.m. as being sort of that magic hour when most of these types of experiences happen. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I've never understood it, and of course most of my studies have been limited, you know, to biblical studies and that kind of thing, although I have also had an interest in studying, you know, the New Age and and other kinds of paranormal experiences, like I mentioned NEDs a moment ago. In fact, I'm publishing a new book right now called Afterlife, which does case studies into NEDs and is it evidence of life after death and that kind of thing. And a man that has an experience has a difficult time trying to explain that to somebody else to the degree that it could somehow help them understand the potency of it, the impact of it on an individual life. I don't know that you can, but in my life, on a few occasions, since then, since, the, you know, 45 years ago, I have been drawn around 2 a.m. into very, 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 very vivid dreamscape this is not like normal dreaming it's panoramic it's full color it's like a full-on hollywood special effects type thing and so far as i know when i'm in it it is absolutely real i'm not aware at all that i am in a night vision by the way the new testament has a word for this in the greek it's called ecstasia uh, it's actually from which we make the word ecstasy uh-huh. but in the new testament it's not ecstasy in you know the way we typically translate that today peter in the new testament the book of acts it says he he fell into a trance and he began seeing things the apostle paul to the corinthian church Says that he was caught up into the third heaven and whether he was in the body or out of the body he did not know that's the Greek ecstasia and I think that that is what this is but in any case on a few occasions in my life I've been shown things in dream states that happened and and so far so far 100% of the time they have come to pass exactly as I have seen them my family could testify to this And I'll give you a a for instance, by the way, that your audience would be able to both verify and identify with. 2010, Mm -hmm. 2 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, this very vivid depiction plays out in my mind as I'm asleep. Part of it I can't explain. It's like I can hear a large engine that is running in the background. I don't have no clue what that means but i see these very dark clouds that are rising up over the vatican and it's very spooky very eerie and suddenly i wake up and i set up in bed and in that moment i know that pope benedict the sixteenth is going to resign and not only that he's going to but exactly when he's going to now i can prove this because i wrote the book petrus romanus chris putnam and i were out doing television programs chris putnam did not want me to say on radio or television that Benedict was going to resign in April of 2012 because he thought if it didn't happen, it was going to Uh hurt the book that we were on book tour with at that time. But I started doing it anyway. So I I did this on Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. I did it on, I think, Coast to Coast with George Norrie. I did it with Jim Baker on his program, I did it on Prophecy Watchers, and some of these are out there on YouTube. People can go and watch them. Where in 2011, one year before the resignation of Pope Benedict, uh, I said Pope Benedict is going to resign, he's going to retire, and he's going to do it in April of 2012.
0: Thomas, I'm going to jump in here because we're going to take a quick time out. When we'll come back, this will be a bit of a cliffhanger. We'll, um, we'll pick up on this point. Thomas Horn, The Wormwood Prophecy, NASA, Donald Trump, and a cosmic cover-up of End Time Proportions. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. With Richard Serrett. Thomas Horn stays with us. The Wormwood prophecy, and uh, Thomas, you were telling us about this um, this vivid dream, this prescient dream you had about the the uh, resignation of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. You had it a year before, or at least no, two years before, I guess. Sometimes in in 2010, but it uh, he he actually. Stepped down, unprecedented. He stepped down in April of 2012. So, uh, you wanted to finish off that story.
1: Yeah. So here I was. I'm out there on, in all this media, some of it with large audiences. I'm, I'm and I'm going out on a limb, right? And uh, my buddy Chris Putnam, who's since passed away, very young, 50 years of age, heart failure. Um, but uh, he's, you know, my research companion in the book Petrus Romanus, which became an international bestseller. Uh, and he's concerned that if I'm saying this and it don't happen, then, you know, people are going to, you know, they're going to say that our book's a crock or whatever. Right. But I just felt compelled to do it because I knew that this had never failed me before. So here's a very interesting thing. Your audience will, will love this. So here I am, 2011, and I'm saying I believe Pope Benedict is going to resign in April of 2012. Now, 2012 comes and goes does not appear that Benedict XVI has resigned. Uh, And at that time, I started getting, you know, a lot of emails, especially from Catholics, Uh, my Catholic friends who were telling me, you see, you have no idea what you're talking about. Popes don't resign. They die in office. And that had been true for more than 500 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it was super unlikely that this was going to happen. Uh and at that point I thought, Oh, okay, well this is this has never failed me before, but now suddenly something's different. Uh but then, February twenty eighth, two thousand and thirteen, the Vatican announces that Pope Benedict the sixteenth has stepped down, that he has resigned. And that very same day, people can Google this and read it for themselves, that very same day The Vatican's news media outlet, the El Observatorio Romano, gave an interview uh, to um, a journalist at the New York Times. And in that interview, they said Pope Benedict actually, officially, secretly resigned when he returned from a trip in April of 2012. Bingo. And the Vatican had been keeping it secret. Uh, they had taken a, a, a little building that the nuns had been using that was there at St. Peter's Square. They were remodeling it, getting it ready to be the, the apartment that the Emeritus Pope was going to live in. So they had all their reasons why they were doing. They wanted to get the, you know, the, the, the conclave ready and all that for the vote. But the point was, brother, starting that day and for probably six months, my phone was ringing off the hook. And I had CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Everybody was asking me uh, if I would... At CNN, in fact, I turned them down a couple times. I told them I don't do fake news. But they said, <laughs> well, we, we, will, <laughs> we will come to Springfield. We have a, a, a facility there we can use as a remote studio. We want to interview you. We want to know, you know, who uh, was your insider at the Vatican? How could you possibly have known this a year in advance. Now, the problem, Richard, and I know because of your program and the program you host that you understand this, was there would be no way to explain to them how I knew. They would never get it. They would never understand it. They would never buy the idea of supernaturalism or a revelation. Um, they would just never get that. And so I turned down all interview opportunities except. The ones where I knew that they, you know, that
0: they understood. Right, Sid Roth, Coast to Coast.
1: Yeah, yeah, even yeah. even Coast to Coast. I went on and did it with George Norrie, and and we talked about it on there. Now, what? Now, why am I talking about all of that? And what does this have to do with the Wormwood prophecy? Because now. For the third time in my life, the, at some point in the future we'll do a different program. I'll tell you the first time I ever made predictions that involved the death of a man and some other things and gave it to the Oregon District of the Assemblies of God uh, in uh, uh, Oregon, and it came to pass exactly. And I wrote it all down and sent it to them, and it came to pass exactly as I had stated. But I'll tell you about that one at some other point. So early this year, this was the third time. And this always happens. 2 a.m. 2 a.m., but also I can't make it happen. It's God. And it's beyond me. And it's God as I perceive it. So early this year, 2019, uh, I go to bed, not expecting anything. 2 a.m., I suddenly enter into the, and this one is the most vivid, most terrifying dream state yet, in which I saw what looked like a horn. It looked like a fiery serpent, like a dragon, way, way up in the heavens, hundreds of feet wide, plunging through the heavens, racing towards the earth at this incomprehensible speed. And I I absolutely have no clue what I'm looking at. Then, all of a sudden, you know how it is in a dream, your point of view can change rapidly. My point of view changes, and suddenly I'm up above this terrifying dragon, and I could see that in fact what it was was a large space rock, an asteroid. Mm. And due to the way that it's rotating and the way the light of the sun is playing off the contours of this huge stone, it only makes it look like it's moving serpent-like or undulating through space towards the Earth. Now, all of a sudden, I see myself, I'm back on Earth again. And I'm on top of this very tall hill, and there's a huge crowd of people around me, and we are all running as fast as we possibly can as this thing behind our back is racing towards the earth. Hordes of people, and everybody, by the way, everybody, is screaming, crying out to their gods uh, to deliver them from what is coming. Then I hear this incredible, incredible boom. I hear a cracking sound and all of the ground beneath us start and everybody falls down. You can't stand up. Um and uh I I I look over my shoulder to see that whatever this thing is, it has plunged into what I perceive to be the Pacific Ocean. It's knocked us all off of our feet. This massive form sends this whole sequence of tsunamis, hundreds of feet in height. Uh, moving just rapidly, slamming into the coastal terrains, all, you know, basically all around the world. My perception is going back and forth. I'm seeing it as if I'm on the ground, and then I'm seeing it as if I'm, it's God's point of view, and I'm looking down upon the earth. All of a sudden, I see this massive wall of water, and it's coming up over the top of the hill that me and everybody else is on, and we're running uh, and And I know that there is no way in the world we're going to escape this at that moment I know we're all dead we're all dying and everybody is screaming it's the most it's just the most terrifying thing ever All of a sudden the atmosphere is infused with scorched particles of aerosol and vapor that are coming up off of the ocean uh, there's this blistering culmination of moisture and extreme heat that's rising up from the sea into the Earth's atmosphere which and by the way, what's funny is I don't know anything about atmospheric conditions. I don't, I'm not a meteorologist. I don't know how weather works. But as I'm in this dream state, I see this heat rising up, and all of a sudden the atmosphere is infused with these high-velocity hurricanes uh, and debris being kicked up from the ground from a second impact actually which I go into in the book and we don't have time on this program to you know try to recreate all of these details Uh, but it's devastating so all this material is moving up into the earth and for about a week darkness covers the sky worldwide as the entire landscape is pounded by these hurricanes and atmospheric annihilation and and then somehow I'm aware that about a week later the waters are starting to settle the storms are starting to subside the sky is growing clear and a great deal of life on earth is dead right at that moment i wake up i set up in my bed richard so quickly that i literally almost fell out of bed Uh, i always keep a writing pad next to my bed in case this happens i I set up in my bed i grab my writing paper and my pen i'm going to start writing down what i saw and it was literally as if a voice in the room whispered in my ear one word, and that is the word Apophis. Mm. Now, you know, I will admit that I, I didn't know really anything about it. I knew that there was an I didn't at that time, by the way, I didn't even realize it was an Egyptian god, but I knew that there was an ancient god of chaos by the name of Apophis. I also knew that NASA had named an asteroid, Apophis, but I didn't know anything about it at all. And so I got up, I started writing down everything that I had seen, I went to my computer and I started doing the research, long story short, all of that is what wound up causing me both to write the uh, book, um, The Wormwood Prophecy, and convinced me and we can go into this if you want to, convinced me that in about nine years from right now, Friday the 13th, April 2029, Apophis is going to strike the Earth and that it is the fulfillment of Revelation 8 as the uh, Wormwood asteroid.
0: All right, Thomas, you'll hold it right there. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and uh, delve into Apophis. Is this... A planet killer? Is this a fulfillment of Revelation 8, verses 10 and 11? Is Apophis Wormwood? We'll discuss with Thomas Horn on the other side. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. From somewhere deep inside the great white north, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Longtime TV and radio personality, best selling author, publisher Thomas Horn is with us. He is also the CEO of Skywatch TV and his latest, The Wormwood Prophecy NASA, Donald Trump, and a cosmic cover up of end time proportions. Well, Thomas, you've certainly established your bona fides in terms of these prescient dreams. So, this asteroid, this space rock that happens to be named after the Egyptian god of chaos. Give us its vitals. How, how big is it? Where is it situated? And so forth.
1: Yeah, this was discovered uh, in June of 2004. Astronomers at the Kitt Peak National Observatory detected this sizable asteroid heading toward Earth. And so they began studying it. They brought it to uh, NASA's Wise team's attention. And pretty soon, all of the leading astronomers were looking at it, and you know the ideas around trajectory and Abedo. and.
0: You mentioned you know, Neo- and, NEOwise. Let me just—that's uh, Near Earth Object Wide Field, Infrared Survey Explorer. Their job is to keep an eye out for these things, right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And essentially, right now they're monitoring 165,000 known asteroids. But people should be aware that. It could be that even the majority of asteroids to this day continue to be undetected. In fact, NASA's own statistics say that probably 70% of space threats right now remain undetected. And many of them, they only pick them up when they're within days of entering our atmosphere. Those are the smaller car-sized ones. But wormwood, apophis, and excuse me, if I use the term wormwood as i'm referring to an asteroid you'll know i'm talking about a because that's the way it is in my head now but discovered 2004 now the diameter you ask about the you know the particulars it's estimated to be approximately 370 meters or 1200 feet across or to put that into perspective this is approximately four football fields mm. now this stone is estimated to be about 20 million metric tons. It is traveling at 28,000 miles an hour. So all of that, you know, if a person is an impact specialist, and basically what they're saying is this is a mind-bending mass, a potential inertia velocity encounter that the average human cannot even begin to fathom. If a purpose does impact the Earth, their mapping program tells them that it is most likely that it is going to hit the Earth somewhere around the coastlines of California and Mexico, so a very highly densely populated area. The impact is going to unleash a blast, the equivalent of over a billion tons of TNT. Mm. Now, to put that into perspective... That's an explosion larger than nearly all nukes on Earth today going off all at the same time in one place. Or to also put it into perspective, it would be equivalent to 65,000 of the Hiroshima nuclear bombs that sunk Nagasaki. So all in one place. It would probably crack the mantle of the Earth.
0: It's a planet killer several times over.
1: It could be, depending on where it hits the Earth. NASA's own statistics say that it's going to be at a minimum tens of millions, but probably more in the billions of deaths mm. just from the initial impact. Now, if you're not a prophecy believer and you don't think the way that my worldview uh, tends to look at this stuff, then you would look at this and say that you know the the impact from years of climate disruption is going to literally lead to a near, if not an earth-destroying uh, phenomenon, nearly that. A huge amount of the earth is going to be destroyed. And, of course, that's what's implied in Revelation chapter 8. Many man, which in the in the language there, it means a huge number of people on earth uh, are going to die all at one time.
0: And now, its ETA I, was April 13th? Twenty twenty
1: nine. Yeah. So get that date right, Friday the thirteenth, twenty twenty nine. Now, uh, in the beginning, NASA uh, and the people at Kitt Peak National Observatory and the NEOWISE team, they believed that there was um, a measurable chance that Apophis is going to strike the Earth on that date in about nine years from now. Now later, they changed their dating, and Richard. Um, this is where I suggest in the book, The Wormwood Prophecy, that there is a cover-up. And we can go into some of the reasons why I say that, but they changed their dating, and now they say that it is probably not going to impact the Earth on that date in nine years from now. Now, here's what's amazing about this.
0: Hang on, I'm going I'm to jump in again. Pardon the interruption. We'll uh, break away for a, just a moment or two. We'll come back. Thomas Horn. Uh, telling us about this potential planet killer, Apophis. Something wicked this way comes. Is it Friday, April the 13th, 2029? Well, Neowise, that is the, uh, the agency charged with tracking these, uh, these asteroids, these space rocks, they say, no, wait a minute now, just hold on. Sounds like a cover-up. Thomas Horn will explain on the other side. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Sarrett. Stay with us. Strap yourself in. You're about to leave everything you thought you knew behind. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Just a quick programming note. Uh, A few days ago, I was driving in the car, and I didn't have my uh, my cell phone uh, on Bluetooth, so I couldn't pick up. It was a message, a rather cryptic message from Ambassador Lee Wanta, who has been on this program before, but it's been quite a while, and he left kind of a cryptic message hinting that he had some blockbuster new information. So we're going to endeavor to get the gentleman who goes by a number of names, including President Reagan's secret agent, and also, um, what's the other name he goes by? What is it now? 67 trillion dollar man or something like that. Anyway, he's... Uh, well, self-confessed uh, secret agent who says he brought down the Soviet Union using uh, a number of currency swaps and different complicated financial maneuvers without firing a shot. That was uh, Lee Wanta working behind the scenes who did that, he claims. Anyway, we hope we'll have him on the program uh, next week. Right now, Thomas Horn stays with us. The Wormwood Prophecy. And uh, we were talking about the Near-Earth Object Wide-Field Infrared Survey, NEOWISE. It sounds like they're trying to maybe obfuscate, muddy the water with regards to Apophis's ETA. So, carry on. What are they saying now about Apophis?
1: Yeah, let me put it this way. If a person gets the book, The Wormwood Prophecy, and by the way, right now we have the biggest giveaway in the history of Skywatch television. If people go to SkywatchTV.com, right at the top, they'll see... Like a video up there, and there's a, an ad they can click on. We're desperate to try to get this book in the hands of, of as many people as we possibly can. Now, the, if if they get the book and if they read the Wormwood Prophecy, they're going to find that while the book is nonfiction, we actually begin the first chapter of the book uh, with a narrative, and it is describing something similar. To like the opening scenes of the movie Deep Impact. Did you see that movie? Oh, yes. Well, you have a comet and it's hurtling towards Earth. It could mean the end, uh, you know, of all or much of human life. And the U.S. government, and not just the U.S. government, international space agencies, there are 70 of them, which is an interesting number, 70 of them around the world, uh, and they are trying to keep the threat under wraps. Why? Out of fear that public chaos uh, would lead to martial law and just absolute disruption and chaos out of and and that is by the way that is what i saw uh... in my night vision in my dream utter chaos people in utter panic running in every direction begging their gods to deliver them but anyway the, cha- the the book starts out with this narrative, and then after you read Chapter 1's narrative, where all these international space agencies are working together behind the scenes trying to figure out some way to mitigate the threat of Apophis, um, then it goes to uh, Chapter 2, and it says Chapter 1 was fiction, or is it? Hmm. Uh, and don't, you know sigh a breath of relief thinking that there's no real cause for alarm, because the truth is there are significant reasons that I've come to believe that undisclosed facts that are stranger and scarier than the opening fictional narrative uh, should chill people to the bone, and yeah, it involves a cover-up of the highest order by national space agencies, including at NASA, and then I immediately go into verifying that fact so that people understand that I'm not alone in my conspiratorial thinking. For example, um, I cite a recent peer-reviewed paper. Uh, Long name. Let me give you the name of this so that people can Google it and read it for themselves. Here's the name of the peer-reviewed paper in in, in an astronomy science magazine. Here's what it's called. It's called, quote, an Empirical Examination of Wise, neo Near-Earth Object, Wide-Field, Infrared Survey, Explorer, Asteroid Analysis, and Results.
0: It's catchy. That's,
1: yeah, that's the name <laughs> of it. But it is by Nathan Mirvold. Some uh-huh. of your listeners will already know who Nathan is. He's
0: Bill Gates' before. second brain, as you call him in the,
1: uh, in the book. That's exactly right. Former chief uh, tech officer at Microsoft. He's a true polymath. He's a working scientist. Uh, He's published, and I've read a lot of his papers, original research in paleobiology, climatology, but more importantly, with regard to the Wormwood prophecy, astronomy. Uh, He holds over 800 U.S. patents. Uh, The Economist, by the way, describes Mirvold as Bill uh, Bill Gates' second brain, and they're the ones that point out that he is almost always on the A-list of the world's 100 greatest scientific thinkers so this guy's got credentials he is he is highly respected um, and uh, has the what you know has the credentials to back it up but in his paper and you have to read this paper um, because he charges NASA and the NEOWISE team with a cover-up He talks about systematic errors, inconsistencies, all that, but then he goes beyond that, literally almost to the point of being a whistleblower. You know, everybody in in the government right now talking about whistleblowers. Well, he's a real whistleblower who says that NASA has deliberately, these are his words, deliberately misreported the threat uh, by uh, these near-Earth objects uh, he says that they have behaved extremely deceptively with deliberate scientific misconduct in a cover-up of very real potential imminent space threats. Now, he's not the only one. I go through a series of these in the book to provide some backup for my claim by persons who would be highly respected, uh, who likewise are saying... There is a cover-up, and then, of course, it becomes a question of, you know, what is it that they're covering up?
0: Let me just, because we've just got a, about a minute here before the top of the hour, and we'll carry on uh, into the second hour. Thomas Horn will stay with us for the entire show, and we'll open up the phone lines as well. But just minute, let me ask you a couple of things about neo Neowise. First of all, uh, who, who funds them? Are they a government agency? Are they funded by NASA? Are they a branch of NASA?
1: Yeah, they're a branch of NASA. They are funded through NASA, but they're, of course, funded by me and you, uh, taxpayers through the federal government, as part of our space agency.
0: Okay, so they publish this data, uh, that, that, and they talk about near-Earth objects that may be a threat, those that aren't, and they're using some sort of a mathematical formula, I guess. And so um, this great thinker, Bill Gates' second brain, uh, he is saying that their 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 mathematical calculations are deceptive in order to to hide the truth.
1: Is that yeah. the gist of it uh, well he he says here 's a quote from his paper. I just gave everybody the title they can just actually google mirvold uh, and and astronomy or whatever and they 'll find this paper because it's it 's out there now and it was published only i don 't know maybe one hundred and twenty days ago. Uh, And he says this, quote, the issues that I am calling misconduct in the NEOWISE papers were not inadvertent. In other words, these are not mistakes. They are deliberate, he says, choices made repeatedly by the NEOWISE team over a long period of time. These actions have caused the astronomical community to work under the false belief that the NEOWISE results are more accurate, in other words, have smaller errors, than the evidence actually warrants, end quote. So it's a long paper, and I highly recommend it because of his bona fides. Right. But but what Mirvold is saying is that the largest database in the world, more than all other sources combined, of information detailing the diameters and the albedo and the properties of 164,000-plus asteroids is suffering from intentionally, not not just poor science, not just rushed calculations, but intentionally manipulated information at worst or inadequate analysis at best, with the net result being that the public is being kept in the dark regarding, and then it's the big question mark. What? Question mark. Right. What is it that they are trying to hide?
0: Thomas, and we'll, uh, I, I,
1: I spend the entire book making the case that they are covering up for the real threat that is represented by Apophis in just nine years from now.
0: All right, we'll uh, take a time out, and when we come back, second hour, Thomas stays with us. The wormwood prophecy, NASA, Donald Trump, and a cosmic cover up of end time proportions will also open up the phone lines and take questions and comments.